Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I'll be handling the podcasting duties this week for the podcast. Um, I went ahead and gave Ben, Cody, and Sam the week off, uh, so we'll be doing the Boston College recap here. And um, to help me out with this, have yet another interview interviewee coming on to join us. I'm joined tonight by a blogger from Shaking the Southland, Colby Lanham. Um, you guys will have read a lot of his work over there at Shaking the Southland. Uh, Colby, welcome. Happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Nick. Always, always good to be on and read plenty of uh, the other STS writers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been blessed on the podcast this season to have um, a handful of the STS guys come through, as well as uh, some guys from Clemson Paws. So really good to kind of engage with all sides of kind of the Clemson blogosphere, if you will, and um, all these guys active on Twitter as well, as I know you are. So uh, good, to, good to finally get you on the pod. I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm excited to, to talk some Clemson football. Yeah, just in terms of um, your work over at SCS, Colby, what do you what do you tend to focus on in your writing? Like, what can what can our, our listeners go and check out um, of your work over there at Shaking the Southland? Uh, for me, I tend to focus mainly during during the season. I tend to focus a lot on game preview. So every week, I tend to write a preview on on whatever the team is, and uh, a, a lot of us at STS obviously tend to do you know a lot of previews and looks at the team. But I look at it more from the standpoint of I'll I'll be the one that kind of throws out like, you know, so and so is ranked, you know, thirty second in the nation and something. So I kind of look at it as from more of a broad standpoint and highlight several players from uh and highlight several players on offense and defense from the opposing team and kind of uh have some brief keys to the game as to how they might how they might impact the game as a whole. So I focus mainly on those kinds of game previews during this uh, during the season. Off season, I tend to do a lot more uh, opinion analysis uh, uh, kind of pieces by position, especially the positional pieces we do. I tend to really do uh, do a lot of those. Like this past off season, obviously we had a lot of stuff on you know the on on the quarterback position. I tended to take a lot of those because I really like whenever you know uh, uh quarterback battles happen because you know that's only one position so it's right you know the thing that everybody's gonna see uh see the most so i tend to do a lot of those kind of preview analysis pieces for uh for sts yeah sounds great um it feels like too with your kind of weekly look ahead at this game you're looking for kind of statistical nuggets and uh, keys of the game that sort of thing that 
Um, I know we have uh, film guys over at SCS. You guys have, uh, you know, Alex and Matt looking ahead at offense and defense from a film and schematic standpoint, X's and O's. So good to kind of balance that with um, some of the more just, yeah, statistical, you know, look look aheads as well as like, you know, just what we know about the, the opposing team and um, what, what one can expect in that matchup. Yeah, it is. I I, I find it, it it does really really well. It's good to have kind of the technical guys like like Alex, for example, that's able to, uh, to break down kind of the the base defense of of whatever a team runs for the really the really in depth you know got uh, the really in depth fans that are really going to want to see that. And then for you know the ones that'll kind of have a brief outline of okay, here's the defense that they run, and here are a couple of the players that you need to look out for on that side of the ball or you know they run this base personnel and they're really good at run defense or they run this base personnel but they've been you know susceptible to susceptible uh, to the pass so i find that it really complements each other very well and one of the things i really like about STS and what made me want to start writing for them is kind of that really good balance that it has you can always find something a little bit different on on a, a SCS whether you prefer uh, Alex's more uh, technical breakdown or you just want to see okay what's like a very more basic uh, breakdown to kind of go along with that you can uh, also re- read those so there's a good good mix of analysis there yeah you guys definitely kind of cover cover the basis of what a potential Clemson fan could could want to look for based on I guess just you know how much you want to nerd out more or less on on this football team and these matchups um and i guess you know wanted to get your take kind of on the season thus far i mean we really haven't had the level of intrigue of uh, l- let's call it like evenness of opponent that we've enjoyed maybe the last certainly last year and the the two prior to that seemed like there were more competitive games for the tigers down the stretch um so i imagine people are maybe looking for other nuances to pick apart in these matchups or Look for people to be chiming in about potential playoff, you know, opponents, which we'll definitely do here on this pod. But um, anyway, just wanted to get your take. I mean, we're 11 weeks in; season really has felt like it's flown by for us um, as Clemson fans. I mean, it feels like forever ago that we were dealing with the quarterback sort of controversy, if you will, or the just the Kelly Bryant transfer situation. But um, really, Clemson's kind of uh, turned turned a new leaf since that point. Um, just wanted to get your take overall on how you feel like with Clemson or just overall as a college football fan, like how do you feel about the 2018 campaign so far? Uh, yeah, with Clemson, it does really seem, it seems like honestly the longest parts of the longest part of the season was really that first month when you had kind of, kind of that big quarterback battle going on. And, you know, it seems like ever since Lawrence had committed, that's really when the battle kind of, you know, you know, started. And then when he came in January, has the spring game, everything, it seems like that battle was it seems like Clemson's season was more about the quarterback battle more so than the actual more so than the actual opponent themselves because at the end of the day you know the coaches obviously aren't going to you know say it but you know that when you see what Alabama's doing with with Tua and everything that there was a choice that really had to be made and Dabo didn't want to make that choice in late October, early November, and Lawrence has, you know, just been playing limited snaps. So it was really intriguing to kind of see that once 
once that kind of quarterback pressure was lifted and, you know, Bryant transferred and they got through that, you know, patch against Syracuse when, you know, they got to the shaky start and then Lawrence went down and Chase Bryce and ETN lead that really big, big comeback and the defense puts on a strong effort. It seems like after, you know, they run run up the score against Wake Forest and then have that bye week, it's like the it was a completely different team that began to mold itself mold itself around Lawrence and you see kind of the emergence of this passing game that I honestly think that the coaches really really uh, wanted to see and what they're more comfortable with because it seems like uh, Tony Elliott the co-offensive coordinator it it just seems that they always wanted to really reestablish the passing game on top of their run and you see really what a difference that's made because suddenly you see teams looking to shut down ETN and they've been doing a good job of kind of stacking the box and limiting his opportunities. But the passing game with Lawrence and these receivers has really made a difference into kind of how this season is. Cause I feel like if I, I, I do feel like that the passing game hadn't shown this much improvement, the season mm-hmm. might seem a bit longer because suddenly you're seeing, you know, a lot more incomplete passes, a lot more, a lot more three and outs, but you're seeing, you're seeing Lawrence be so dominant and growing up before, you know, Clemson fans' eyes that it's really seemed like, you know, you you, you almost question if the decision should have really been made sooner or anything like that. But overall, the thought thought on the season is I, I, I think it's surprising for me anyway that Lawrence has progressed to this extent so quickly that he's put Clemson back in the prime the prime uh playoff spot but I think overall the season has definitely been been one of the more remarkable ones in recent memory and it's you have to keep reminding yourself that Clemson has two more two more years of Lawrence and a lot of this group is still going to be with him plus recruits coming in so I think it's definitely been a season that Clemson fans are really happy with and they're really looking forward to really testing Lawrence against um, a more a more athletic caliber defense to see how how he responds to that. So I think a lot of fans are seeing this as just continued experience and progression for Lawrence looking uh, toward the playoff. Yeah, I could not agree more. I feel like maybe to to maybe uh, riff off what you said a bit. I mean, I think coming into this year, knowing what we we got out of this entire football team in 2017, knowing what we had coming back on defense. I feel like for me, the defense set the floor of this team. You know, the floor was set pretty high. Also, you have to factor in our schedule and the, what we, you know, who we went up against in the ACC in ACC play. Um, But really the, the offense would dictate the ceiling and how far this team would go toward competing for a championship. Um, And, you know, I agree with basically everything you said related to, what it would take out of the passing game to be able to set, you know, determine, can we compete? Um, and, and also can we handle our schedule the way we have? And, you know, it's had to be Lawrence that has gotten us here. Um, I mean, I think with the, I don't want to, I guess we could just say with Kelly Bryant, with sort of a limited passing attack, this Boston college game would have looked different. Probably the NC state game would have looked different. Um, other games on our schedule, maybe it would have felt like a more exciting season. So, 
I think um, we as Clemson fans, like, you know, I've heard a lot of kind of chatter. I myself have probably commented on it a little bit about, man, you know, being elite, being kind of in that top two or, you know, really top upper crust of college football, like, is a little bit boring during the regular season, particularly when your conference and your league, you know, suck like like it has this year in the ACC. Um, but it's just kind of, it's kind of the, the price you pay, I guess. Um, and, it, you know, look no further than one year ago to see what, you know, still a, a very high quality team looked like that maybe was in a lot of closer contests due to not being that multiple on offense and not having yeah. that, that response um, to what yeah. the defense throws at you. Yeah, and I think about this time last year when, I mean, even we were playing Florida State and that game remained relatively close until about the last half of the fourth quarter when we kind of busted up a few quick points. And it's like, you know, as it's kind of, you know, if you go back and look at some of those games from last year, and I'm not trying to, to, to rip or anything, but kind of like what you said about the limited passing game with KB, there were moments when, you know, once teams kind of took away that run and forced you to isolate the pass, there wasn't really enough of an answer for it. And now that there's an answer for it, it's made the team that much more dangerous and elevated them that much more because now you've gotten this this high level this high level receiving core involved in everything, and it's really kind of allowed defenses to have to think a little bit more in terms of how you attack Clemson, and that you can't just you can't just limit the run anymore like you could last year, which is what Alabama did. They really kind of exposed what that game plan probably would have been for a lot of teams had KB been kind of the starter for a prolonged stretch uh, stretch of time. And 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 the defense is just is just doing what they've always done. And and Venables continues to do such a such a great job there. And the and the leadership on on that side has really been astounding. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, Colby, I, I do want to kind of transition us into talking about this most recent game against Boston College because I think it it was revealing both in terms of, I think it was a little bit of a microcosm of our season. I'll t- kind of touch on that. But um, also, I mean, I really want us to get into talking through the college football playoff as well. Um, it's kind of been chalk the last two weeks in terms of the top four, really the top six, not really moving t- too much there. Um, so definitely want to touch on kind of your thoughts on the the playoff, and then I know you've you've looked looked ahead a bit at Duke um, for your own preview purposes and just curiosity about this game coming up. So wanted to get your thoughts on Duke also. But why don't we move on and just talk about Boston College here? Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, just kind of brief brief thoughts. It was big. Well, first off, obviously everything kind of has to start and end with the quarterback position. So. With Lawrence, obviously, I wasn't of that, you know, you know that media drama mindset that the cold was going to affect <laughs> Lawrence. Yeah, I was more interested in, okay, the last few years, even, you know, even with, you know, you know the, the last few years, and players have even stated that Boston College, you know, no matter the year of their record, they always have a very stout defense that it's usually hard to run on and they're really good at putting pressure on the quarterback especially with their with their front seven so how is Lawrence going to handle this more athletic front seven and what kind of coverage and what kind of coverages are they going to are they really going to throw at him and this was 
really the first game in probably probably all season with the exception of probably Texas A&M where there was really a lot of consistent pressure that Lawrence had a difficult time really dealing with. And one thing that I noticed in particular was that Boston College would often often do a lot of different blitzes and coverages at him and he had he looked a little slow slow uh releasing it but he did but he but he still threw for three three hundred yards so he hit the passes that, that he needed to but this was a really good measuring stick for Lawrence to kind of be like okay this is the kind of thing that I can expect from a defense in the college football playoff because all four of the top teams are gonna have really top defenses Notre Dame has a good defense we obviously know about Alabama and then Michigan's gonna have a good defense those are the just the top four teams as I'm naming them right now but uh for the offense it was a good it was a good measuring stick for Lawrence to kind of it's almost like this this is the next step in your progression step one is can you run take take command of the offense okay you've done that step two can you go against a good athletic defense that you'll see in the playoffs that will be more athletic than this one because they'll have mm-hmm. even more highly recruited players because it's not like Boston College gets a lot of five stars on a regular basis. They do really well with a lot of with a lot of high high three, low four guys mm-hmm. that play hard at, at, at every snap and don't really give you a lot of time to breathe. So I think it was a good me- measuring stick for that. And then on defense, it's just continuing to maintain focus in that environment and I think they pa- passed that with flying colors and although it was bad to you know see Boston College's starting quarterback get knocked out of the game like that I think even if he had stayed in the game it really would have made that much of a difference I still think the score probably would have been the same or similar uh, even if he you know doesn't doesn't get, get, get knocked out of the game especially with Dylan uh, hurt all, all the game because Dylan did not look he, he he did not really look the same he did not really look explosive the entire game yeah for sure I mean I think uh maybe to take it back to the offense just for a moment um Alex Kraft in his first quarter recap I think he said it well like this is this was a necessary test that Trevor Lawrence had to face I mean you can you can sing the the merits of having a cupcake schedule that we just plow through you know we sit here 10 yeah. and 10 and 0 at this point but um, you know, he, he got pretty limited snaps in that Texas A&M game. Uh, that was a very long time ago. And certainly, like, to your point, he has taken control of this offense and figured some things out. But Louisville is not a measuring stick for Trevor no. Lawrence. He's not going to go out there against Brian Van Gorder defense and, you know, learn anything that he's going to expect to see against Michigan, Alabama, or Notre Dame, or anyone else in the playoff. Um, so I, I agree with you. I agree with Alex that um, it was important for him to see that. Also, I think the kind of night game, primetime, you know, hostile road environment atmosphere, um, we won't have any road games per se. It'll all be neutral site starting with the ACC championship game. But, um, you know, to, to be in that type of, of loud atmosphere with the, the bright lights, um, I think he, he did pretty well with that. Um, and I certainly had some takeaways from this game that will still be, I mean, this has been talked about throughout the year, but are, are still revealed from Trevor Lawrence's development areas. But to your point, he still threw for over 300 yards. He still made the throws he needed to make, made some pretty good decisions with his legs. Some of those might have been design runs, such as his touchdown run, obviously. But um, 
anyway, I thought, yeah, I thought T-Law had a great game. Um, and those, it was great to get on film here in kind of the 10th game of the year, uh, on film for himself and on film for the team to, and coaches to go through uh, some areas that he's going to be able to develop. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always really good to kind of, again, just go go through those those kinds of things because uh, because because if, if there's one thing that a team is going to try to do, you know, as talented as he is, still his first time going still his first time going through all this this time last year. I mean, he's playing in high school. Now he's expected to, you know, now he's, he's going to be at the helm of a of a college football offense competing for a national championship. And, you know, I don't care, you know, what, what school you come from or where you are, that's going to be hard, hard to do. I mean, even, even if Sean Watson didn't win a national championship, his first go through and, you know, there are a lot of trials that you often have to go through. And for him in the offense, this is a really necessary one. Now it's good that he has, you know, some, some leadership on that offensive line and, players that have that have played in that environment so he's not having to shoulder everything completely which i think is which i think is good that he has has those kind of guys and guys like you know higgins and rogers that have you know that were reserves and went through all that as a all that as freshmen are now you know starting as sophomores and the other receivers i think that core group has been what's helped lawrence progress faster more than more than uh more than uh more than uh, any, anything else. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And um, just the kind of versatility of the offense, what you get out of the running game in most games that we've seen so far this year. Um, I think I definitely want to get your thoughts on kind of how the running game progressed for Clemson this week. But excellent point about just um, both the the mature, the mature maturation of um, the Tennessee guys um, that are in their second year really starting to, to hit the, hit their full speed. Um, as well as just the presence of veterans like Hunter Renfro and even Trevion Thompson um, and what they've what they brought to this offense this year and kind of helped Trevor Lawrence um, kind of acclimate. And I, I don't want to say they bailed him out on plays necessarily, but, the, you know, Hunter Renfro is just Mr. Reliable, especially on third down, um, and, and that's definitely helped. Yeah, it's definitely good to have, have that, out, have that uh, outlet on third down. I feel like whenever – there's a third down play and you see Hunter Renfro on the slot. That should be a sign to every defensive coordinator, especially if ETN isn't in the backfield. You should know pretty much where this, where this ball's probably going to go. But Renfro just always knows, yeah. knows how to get open. It's, uh, he he's always knows how to, how to get open some way, somehow. Yeah, I feel like I'm sure they track that stat, and I I don't know where he would rank within it, but um, targets on third down and passing down situations and receptions and success, his success rate there must be pretty high. Um, yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned the weather, and I kind of wanted to, with your help, debunk some of the lazy narratives that I think are out there about this game in particular. Um, you know, the weather clearly I don't think had any effect on. Uh, this Clemson team. It was actually colder at kickoff in Clemson, South Carolina than uh, Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. But um, another one is just, I think, throughout this year and certainly in kind of the August, September timeframe, people looked ahead and circled this game as a sexy upset pick for Clemson. And, um, you know, coming into the game, obviously this was for, it wasn't for the Atlantic title. Boston College would have needed to win at least one more game and um, 
to be able to clinch the Atlantic, but they were not going to creep up on Clemson. They were, this was not going to be a Pittsburgh or a Syracuse situation for us. Um, congrats to BC fans. BC's improved this year, but um, I don't necessarily, I don't know. I, like I didn't let the upset stuff bother me too much. It's just more um, realistically. I didn't think Clemson was going to sleepwalk through this game at all. No. And I think one thing that helps with that helped with that this year is that if you look at the years past, like in 2017 and 2016, 2016, the Pittsburgh loss came, came, you know, all the way in November when you've had close games. But, you know, that was, you know, when Deshaun had a penchant for throwing, he threw three <laughs> red, red zone in, interceptions in that game. But that was also the week that you had two other teams in the top five lose and you lost and you lost by one point at home. Right. So that loss didn't really hurt, end up uh, hurting you as much, and it served as a wake-up call. Yeah, you know, and and then last year you have you know uh, Bryant playing on a sprained ankle that he shouldn't have. Now whether that goes back to how much they trusted the quarterbacks not to play last year, who knows? But regardless, then you, know, you have him get concussed in that game and knocked out. Backup Zarek Cooper comes in, doesn't play well. You still only lose at home. You still only lose on the road by three to you know Syracuse and you get a healthy Bryant back and that's a wake up call. And then this year you have the close call at A&M and a second one at Syracuse when Lawrence goes out again. And I think what those, both of those games really spoke to despite how dire they were is again, the veteran leadership of the team specifically when it goes back to like the, those, you know, the, the three defensive linemen, Farrell, Bryant and Wilkins that all decided to come back. And they they were there for all of those all of those losses, and they know how it feels now to get caught, you know, kind of sleepwalking because that's what happened with Syracuse last year. Mm-hmm. And the defense basically puts an onus on themselves to say, in both of those games, Pittsburgh, we got caught sleepwalking with that shovel pass and all those wheel routes and the tempo. Same thing with Syracuse, got caught sleepwalking with tempo. We're not going to get caught sleepwalking against a team like that anymore that we know that we can beat and that we're better than. So they basically came in and they've come in and put that onus on themselves to not fail in a game where they should succeed. So I think that's really been a big part of why that quote unquote let down game that we were all really expecting didn't come and it didn't come who we thought that it was going to come against. So I think that's played a big part in a lot of the dominance that we've seen in this second in this second half of the year because a lot of the team grew up a lot in that Syracuse game coming back from 10 points down and without your starting quarterback a, a lot of those players you know a lot of the younger players behind those veterans really grew up and I think a lot of that again is just a testament to you know how far this team wants and is willing to go yeah, not just, I mean, I, I fully agree. I think also in that Syracuse game, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, one, I actually think the coaches learned a lot, and it, it kind of showed the yeah. coaches how much they could rely on ETN as the workhorse of this offense, um, just with his contributions in that game with the comeback. Um, you know, can't say enough good about Chase Bryce and the effort he had there. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I haven't heard this question asked. Like, do we feel like, let's say, Trevor gets a hangnail and can't start the game in the first leg of the playoff. Do we trust Chase Bryce to beat a Notre Dame? I don't know how I feel about that. I could get your take on it, but um, 
I do feel like, though, we could have survived a loss in that Syracuse game and um, gone on to still be right in, in the thick of it for the playoff just with, again, look no further than last year's Clemson team. Like, you lose your quarterback. That does give you a little bit of a, an excuse in the committee's eyes. Syracuse has turned around and um, been a solid team. I mean, I guess the only issue would be then Syracuse would be looking at potentially um, taking the Atlantic title from us. But um, in any event, glad we won that game. But um, maybe I'll go back to my question. Do you feel like Clemson could win a, a game against the Notre Dame or let's say a Michigan if, if uh, Chase Bryce is under center? I actually, you know, if you had asked – uh, this prior prior to the Syracuse game and after that after that first uh, possession he had after Lawrence got hurt when he yeah. went bumbling and stumbled out of bounds and threw the ball just tossed it out of bounds I would have immediately said no but just looking at Bryce every time he's come in the game and obviously it's been when you've had a lead but he's still playing against starters the way that he's carrying himself the way he's throwing the football with confidence he's looking like a he's looking like not not only a bonafide backup but one that you could actually rely on in the playoff and if it is against like a Michigan or a Notre Dame I actually do think that he does he does have the capability to really to really uh take I say to, to really take a a college football playoff victory because you know, without getting into uh, too much detail, if we talk about it later, I do think that Clemson matches up uh, matches up more with a Notre Dame or a Michigan well, and Bryce does have really good tools that make him a good fit for the Clemson offense. If if anything, before Lawrence got better at it, Bryce, I think, actually had command of the zone read part of the offense better than Lawrence did early, early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he displayed that in that second half of that game um, against Syracuse. I mean, it is crazy to me to think that we may, despite all the guys that we had on the roster in January, we may have kept the second best quarterback still on the team relative to, relative to you know, Coop has had a great year um, at Jacksonville State, and then um, remains to be seen what Hunter Johnson does at Northwestern next year. Uh, Big Ten West champion uh, Northwestern, mind you. But um, yeah, it's just it's amazing to see how Chase Bryce has come along. Yeah, if anything, um, uh, so if anything, uh, referring to Hunter Johnson at, at Northwestern, he'll at least he'll at least ha- have the tool tools and, and support needed there. And for Chase Bryce, if if anything, Dabo can be validated by all the praise he heaped on him <laughs> all all off season because 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 at first we're just like nah maybe. Dabo's praising him a lot because you know it's Dabo. He's gonna praise everybody, everybody, yeah. and he you know wants to have like a third quarterback he can keep because he can't afford to have like more guys leave than mm-hmm. he already had leave. So he has to like keep you know someone. But just seeing his overall demeanor and how it looks, if anything, what the Chase Bryce you know aspect shows you is if I'm you know a, a, a coach recruiting. You might look at that and see you. You might look at these two, you know, freshman quarterbacks, top two freshman quarterbacks on this team, and you're thinking my time to play could come at any time. And if I'm good enough and I'm and I uh, compete, I can, you know, I have an opportunity to play, you know, whenever. Mm-hmm. So if anything, you know, with the new 
uh, redshirt rule that might impact what you like what you say to quarterbacks or how you recruit them if anything that's a that, that can be a, a big positive sign to you know quarterbacks about your your own potential to play and then Bryce's own you know Bryce's own opinions of you know being the being the backup and coming in and always being ready that's a really good positive sign to have for for a backup like that and I think the team has been able to really rally around around both and the offense doesn't really change when either comes in because they both have pretty similar skill sets in terms of just being able to push the ball downfield so I think that really that really kind of helps helps uh, everything and allows Clemson fans to say okay we we still have two quarterbacks that we can uh, that we can legitimately win with yeah no doubt um Maybe to take us back to the Boston College game a little bit, and we'll stick with the offense. I definitely want to give the defense its due because what a, what a performance by them. But um, yeah. one of the one of the maybe narratives that have come out of the game that I think there's a, a bit of merit to um, is is just the talk of the offensive line. And one of the narratives that I I maybe don't agree with is is what we're hearing about you know Tremaine Ancrum on the right side of that O line, how he he got exposed and. Um, isn't really playing up to the standard of that position. And my take on that would be keen to get yours is Boston college has a, a great defensive line and Zach Allen, that defensive end that was indeed, I mean, make no mistake, like Tremaine Ancrum did not have an exceptional football game and no. um, he got beat, you know, left and right, but no shame in getting beat by an elite pass rusher like Zach Allen. So I, I, I kind of want to temper a little bit that, that criticism. Oh no, absolutely not. Both of those defensive ends for for a Boston College, both of those guys are going to be taken within the first 3 to 4 rounds of the draft. There's no question about that at all. And you also ha- have to remember not only was Ankrum having to face Zach Allen, they oftentimes blitz, they would oftentimes blitz an extra corner at him, so he's having to make sure that he not only reads that defensive end, but he also has to make sure that you know, the quarterback in the offense knows that he's accounting for this potential blitzer over here. Yeah. And people are, you know, you know how sports is a quick snapshot league. People will see this one big glaring (laughs) game under the bright lights and say, oh, he's been exposed. Well, you know, he's been holding down that right side all year. It's not like the right guard that was in some flux early on. He's held down that tackle spot and held it down pretty pretty well in fact out of out of everything i'd say the strength of clemson's offensive line has been their tackles with hyatt on the left and ankrum on the right and ankrum has been a guy that's come along pretty well these last couple of years after being a rotation guy for the first you know for his 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 first couple of years he you know i don't believe he redshirted i'm pretty sure he he didn't because they were pretty high on when he came in Mm -hmm. but he's been a guy that Honestly, that's been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty reliable. He's healthy. He hasn't been hurt a lot, and I think this game, if anything, is if anything, it was also a good, good test for you know him and and what and what uh, he'll face. And you know he's a he's a about say if there's one thing about about any of these guys, they're all driven. They'll they'll get they'll get better from it. He'll know you know kind of kind of what to do it's it's as much a growing process for everybody as it is for you know for you know trevor so i think a lot of 
this he's been exposed stuff has been been really really overblown and you know uh, you know again it's because a lot of a, a lot of the stuff they'll see coming a, a lot of people saw blitzes coming from that right which is oh that's Ankrum's side he clearly you know can't yeah. can't block or he's, anything he's so, got two legs like, and two arms like yeah you know, yeah i mean there's 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 an extent to what he can do and i agree with you um i think it's maybe a bit overblown what where the criticism is there um yeah yeah this hasn't been like a whole season thing for him so i'm not gonna freak out because he's being tested against what could be a he, he he's he, he's not he's not going against what could be a top three round nfl defensive defensive end and he's struggling i mean like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna freak out about that because he's played in he's played in much bigger games and held his own fine so yeah i'm not gonna worry about this um colby i looked at some advanced stats i looked at the havoc rate stat which basically talks about tackles for loss or sacks uh for a defense behind the line of scrimmage um and boston college ranks 32nd in the country Notre Dame's actually up at 41st. So, uh, I, th- you know, that's not the entire measure of a defense, certainly. But in terms of just uh, maybe the weak links of this Clemson offense or just areas that we just saw the team have some difficulty with with BC, um, I feel like, at least from a Havoc rate standpoint, if we do face Notre Dame, that's who we're slated to, to face right now, um, maybe we can expect as as difficult, maybe a slightly easier kind of matchup on that side of the side of the match uh, of the overall game matchup um michigan they're a lot better uh they're they rank seventh and have a great incidentally clemson ranks third uh nationally at, at that stat uh, so uh, yeah I, I mean i i guess my thought there is um you got to look ahead you got to think about who we might face i actually wasn't able to pull up alabama's metric on that and that that rate must be improving with how their defenses looked the past couple weeks but um i mean i think if you you know we know what we get out of the receiving core, out of TL's arm, and out of the running game. I feel like the running game through the A gap was um, challenged this week by BC, and that was also something I wanted to get your take on. Is uh, when we when we don't get the run game going, you know, this game we chose to, or the Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott chose to go with more of a, all right, let's beat him with Trevor Lawrence's arm for the most part um, to try to loosen things up for the run. And uh, had some success with that, but do you feel like there's any 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 takeaways to have here about the O line when it comes to the push they're getting with a gap running? Yeah, a lot of times it uh, it can feel like these these last uh, couple of games minus minus uh, Louisville, and this can even go back to NC State. A lot of them after it, after seeing what he did against Syracuse, they're kind of gearing. If we're going to take away one thing, we need to take away ETN first because him him gashing us on the ground will not only give Clemson uh, more opportunities for big plays, it's going to eat up the clock and limit our possessions. So forcing them to be, you know, forcing them to kind of go to the pass a little bit more can make them less of a ball control offense and maybe force their young freshmen into into some mistakes it seems like that's the route that kind of the kind of the, yeah, that's the poison they've picked kind of opposing defense defenses have been making and a lot of times if you watch the zone read where does Clemson oftentimes like to run the ball the most they oftentimes love to run it 
they oftentimes love to run e, uh, ETN in that A gap. We hardly Clemson isn't really a team that has runs ETN to the edge a whole lot, which is I know something that that I I think some of I think even some of the you know uh, writers on the uh, on the blogosphere and fans have been wondering why don't we you know try try running ETN to the edge and getting in the ball in space where he can move a little bit more and kind of unclog unclog that middle because while I do like you know Clemson's center and left guard play right right guard has been kind of in in flux but Cervanka has kind of helped uh mitigate some of that some of those issues that push has been more difficult to get as teams have kind of been more focused on on uh, plugging that a gap and as good as Clemson's offensive line has been at times they're not necessarily the best when it comes to necessarily getting getting that extra that extra push uh sometimes they're not getting pushed back per se but they're just kind of getting stood up and not getting that extra push and that doesn't that that hasn't really helped with kind of uh, the coach's willingness to kind of stay with that run game. So looking for a way to open that up, I think has made Elliot want to fall back to the pass a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be something that teams are going to continue exploiting kind of until they find a way to open up that a gap. Then I think that's going to be something that teams are again, going to continue to exploit and Clemson, if they want to, reopen their offense again getting etn involved is going to be key because you the last thing you want to do against these defenses is be, try to become a like pure passing team because that's not really the kind of team that clemson is and i think that trying to become such really really limits them the same way that it did last year when you were a predominantly running team but relied too much on the pass I think the opposite can happen where if you try if you try to ignore the running game too much because you can't get that push, then you limit yourself even more and an ability to establish long drives that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I go back to the 2016 national championship game with Wayne Gallman. I think he averaged like three and a half yards of carry, uh, yeah. maybe closer to three. Um, certainly wasn't getting gashed run plays, but was, was helping to move the chains and helping to get more manageable situations for Deshaun Watson um, to hit Artavis Scott, to hit Jordan Leggett, and to uh, make plays with his own legs as well. So you got to get something out of the running game. I agree with you. And you basically have to force the issue. Like you're, you're off. Yeah. Certainly, you know, our coaching style is we're going to, we're going to see what the defense is giving us and make our adjustments. And, you know, what's great is we have a lot of versatility there in this offense to be able to make some things happen. But um, certainly in the running game, I think finding the keys to um, unleash that, the ETN kind of yards after contact and um, explosiveness once he gets into space, I think would do this team well. Um, and kind of, you know, something that we chatted about on the STS Slack board was, this is kind of my my thing here is uh, the tight end play. So what can you yeah. actually do in the passing game over the middle to try to open up where you, you, you sort of have um, have to keep the defenses honest through the middle, and does that loosen things up for the running game? Um, and that's where we actually haven't seen too much yet this year, uh, the offense feature the tight end. 
I'm hoping that is because our coaching staff has taken a page out of Alabama's playbook with OJ Howard. He was basically stashed deep in their in their playbook um, in 2015, 2016, still, um, and unleashed on an unsuspecting Clemson defense um, in the national championship games. Um, I'm hoping we're saving Braden Galloway for that for that purpose, but um, that's that's my like uninformed uh, <laughs> solution here. <laughs> Oh like, no! Uh, yeah. I was about to say that would that would actually be a very good one because we haven't seen him since Florida State, and you know he obviously can't can't uh, can't uh, redshirt. And even though we do have numbers at tight end, I mean people like Milan, Garrett Williams, Cannon Smith, a lot of them are primarily used as blockers and not really utilized in the passing game over the middle. It seems like the passing game over the middle has been relegated to. Renfro or big catch Justin Ross territory at this point. So it's been it's it's been kind of interesting that the tight end has kind of become more of like a relegated lead blocker or pass protector in the offense right now. And it actually would be really good if they did treat Braden Galloway the same way they treated the the freezer package with Dexter and Dexter and Wilkins. Because I even remember saying saying to um, as I said, uh, saying to both my dad and my uh, and my family, you know, they've been showing this package. What they're going to do over time is that they're going to show stuff gradually and then do different things out of it. Like, you know, the first time they, you know, put Wilkins in the backfield, handoff, second time Dexter, mm-hmm. and then third time they pass it over the top to Milan. And just kind of incorporating different stuff like that, I think, with like the with the tight end like Galloway would be would be a key. The I say the the only question I have about that is how how creative they might be in really doing something like that. Because one thing you we have to remember about young tight ends like that is that there's one thing Dabble's gonna ask you to do. He's gonna ask you to block, and you won't really play that much if you don't show a willingness to yeah. to block for someone. And you know for those young flex tight ends that can oftentimes be a be as much of a of a of a mental hurdle more than anything else and i don't think it it, it, as far as i've seen and from what i can tell he doesn't have the the jordan legged laziness problem that he had for like two and a half years he's 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 already pretty he pretty much already has that hard work mindset already i think it's it's just a green more of a mental growth yeah yeah i would say i mean i agree with you on that like you you basically can't expect at this point or getting later into the year to be a one-dimensional player. And another player on this offense that I, I look to um, is Trevion Thompson, exceptional uh, blocking wide receiver. He, uh, but we also have featured him in the passing game, and he's he's come down with a lot of a lot of clutch passes for us and caught a touchdown um, very recently. I mean, I you got to have him involved in the passing game, otherwise defenses are going to key on that they're going to see number one out there and they're going to say all right he's out here to block this is going to be a bubble screen or this is going to be a you know a pass to the to the to the boundary um we need to to scheme change our change our alignment for that um and same would go with galloway if he's just going to be in there for pass catching they're gonna they're gonna adjust to that they're gonna pick that up and um you know ideally he can figure out the blocking i don't know if that's going to happen between now and uh, New Year's Eve or whatever day we play this game, but uh, the, the first playoff game. But um, anyway, it is 
it is something it would be great to start to see uh, t more tight end play featured in the passing attack. Yeah, and that's something again that can definitely over uh, that is something that can definitely o open up the middle. And for right and for right now, that 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 blocking thing is usually like an off like a full off season of drills working and, out and that yep. kind of thing. But I say, but if but I say, but but if you just bring out just like a just like one of those sets where he's you know just just flexed out, that's you know that's that that's just always something something that, that you ha have to think about, especially because Clemson oftentimes rotates in so many receivers. If you get him, you know, in that in that flex sliding and, and you have a mismatch, that can be that can always be be something that's key. So the there are oftentimes so many po possibilities that you can uh, I say that, that that you can really use because you never know if you know at this point maybe they're saving more of the creative stuff you know for mm -hmm. for the uh, for, for I say for for the playoff because I feel like even against Duke you probably won't see as much creative stuff against Duke. I I fully expect to see not something quite as vanilla. As as it was against Louisville, but it, it'll be pretty much a lot of the same as the as the, what what we've seen seen at this point. I doubt we'll see any new wrinkles against Duke uh, I say, uh, I say, uh, against a team like Duke. So you you're hoping that come come playoff time when you've had you know that little three week three week uh, break in between, more things are worked out and you have a little little more ideas to what you want to do against the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plus for Duke, I expect we'll empty the bench uh, a good amount too. And, you know, that's what we've been doing throughout the year, especially in the last kind of four-game stretch. I didn't get the the player count coming out of the BC game, but um, certainly expect that against Duke and South Carolina, especially the guys that are grew up in the state. You know, are gonna, they're going to appreciate it. We've got a lot of North Carolina guys too. Um, they're going to appreciate getting the chance to play against Duke and against South Carolina. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I expect you'll see maybe a more vanilla version of the offense – more, um, you know, a much longer list of guys getting targets, getting receptions, getting tackles, getting snaps um, in these next two games. But that's all good. Um, and again, the depth helps. The depth has helped us already this this season, um, and it's just going to continue to be play an important role through the playoff. Um, I guess maybe one last thought on the offense, and uh, here was we saw Mitch Hyatt go out. Um, he apparently had stingers, multiple stingers. Um, sort of a nerve thing, pinch nerves um, in this game. Uh, Jackson Carmen came in and actually held his own pretty well. Um, we were all very concerned. I mean, we saw how effective BC's end play was and pass rush. Um, yeah. So to see Carmen come in and, um, again, he he committed himself and his body in the offseason and in the, in the summer um, to getting in game shape. I think he may, may not be all the way there from what, what everyone would like to see from him eventually, but um, – definitely from a technique standpoint and learning this offense and learning how to gel with his um, O-line peers. I think that's like incredibly encouraging to see out of a true freshman here. Um, maybe not to the level and the degree to which we saw out of Mitch Hyatt when he was a true freshman in 2015, but um, definitely bright future for Carmen. And that almost led me to, at, I mean, I'm going to ask you, like, would you as a coach think about resting Mitch Hyatt here uh, stingers or not, whether or not those are bothering him, more from just a, uh, to not tire Mitch out or put him at risk of additional injury, I mean, would you maybe roll with Carmen for a dump, maybe split those snaps or even give him the majority the rest of the way? Um, I would honestly, I was, I was actually thinking 
the, 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 the thing about this question today. I honestly would would try to roll. I would say try to kind of try to kind of split the snaps between them. Maybe maybe either like a like a sixty forty even even like a seventy thirty thing. If I would say like like say you try out Mitch, uh, Mitch Hyde and he can't go, I would honestly you know because you know Jet Jackson was really one of the big five star guys you bought on last year and he's pretty much going to be the heir apparent to to Hyatt once he you know leaves after this year i would go ahead and you know you know roll him with the ones give him the start and see how he does and if it's a bit too too much you know it's not a problem if Hyatt is healthy enough to roll him out there a, a little bit but you Mitch Hyatt is honestly outside of Outside of Lawrence and ETN and also Higgins in there, he's he's one of your most important guys on offense. He's your staple left tackle, and you want him to be as as fully healthy as possible, and you don't want him to suffer any setbacks against either against either Duke, South Carolina, or whoever you end up playing in the ACC championship game. Right. So I must say, and I think it's really good to see Jackson kind of go in an environment like this and go, and really ho- hold his own against an NFL caliber defensive end. So I would honestly against against a team like Duke especially, I would roll him out there, see how he responds, and then from there if you think he's done well enough and held his own, I would honestly start him against South Carolina. I think he's really just based on his play thus far and what he's done up to the point this season. I would honestly give it to him and have Hyatt sit these sit these next two weeks. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I I think there's a lot of merit to it. Um, the only only interesting nugget there's apparently uh, Christian Wilkins and Mitch Hyatt are um, looking at a consecutive starts record, both of them, um, mm-hmm. at their respective positions. Uh, so maybe we play Mitch if he's able to suit up and go maybe play him for the first series and then get Jackson Carmen in there uh, the next couple weeks. But um, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think again, just it's important to protect Mitch and it's important to uh, flex Jackson Carmen and we may need him in the playoff. We're definitely going to need him next year. So uh, we should go for it. And um, I don't know, you, you know, good things can happen in terms of gelling with other guys on this offensive line too. Um, maybe if Ankrum does suffer something and Jackson can flip to the other side, um, if need be there, I, I don't think he's necessarily the, the backup right tackle solution, but, um, again, you know, never hurts to have good, good alignment that you can rely on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Mitch Hyatt has been one of the absolute healthiest offensive linemen we've ever, ever really had. And he's played, I mean, even when Clemson has been going through all of their O line shuffling at every other position, He's one of the guys that has like never been shuffled anywhere. Like on the right side, we were back and forth at tackle between Ankrum and Pollard last year. Right guard Pollard's still been shifting. It's been shifting between him, Cervanka, and Brockhorse to a degree. But Hyatt has been a staple on that left side all four all four years, and the guy plays through everything. And I've never seen him go out of a game unless it's a blowout, and we're you know, be, being a team by by however much. So, getting him that rest for a few games is something that I think is going to be wor- 
uh, worth it in the long run, especially in those kind of games where you might not have the liberty of rotating near as much as you would in other games. Yeah, for sure, as competition steps up. Yeah. Um, well, Colby, just uh, to kind of move us along here, um, maybe last thoughts on the BC game. Wanted to give the defense their due. Uh, this defense will add zero points. Um, Boston College's points were scored on a punt return. Uh, they basically average less than two yards per play, um, and about 113 yards uh, was allowed by this defense. You know, you you want to maybe temper kind of the praise a little bit, or a lot of people want to temper the praise because this was not an Anthony Brown-led offense, and therefore kind of BC's game plan through, went out the window. We'll never know, you know, what kind of showing they would have been able to put up against Clemson, but I think you said it in the early going of this pod – I don't know that it would have made a huge amount of difference. Um, Anthony Brown, solid quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't know if they they have the caliber of of playmaking ability to be able to challenge this defense. And you just saw play after play from throughout all three levels of this this defense really show why they're the they're now the number one S and P plus defense in the country. Um, I mean, it you know we we continue to praise them on this show like they're. They are all that they were promised to be this year and more. And to be honest, they give the offense a really big margin for error, uh, which we we saw a lot of kind of stalled drives in this game, stalled red zone um, opportunities on offense. And not for one minute was I worried because I was like, Boston College isn't scoring again. So, you know, we'll scratch out our 20-plus points and we'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. And – I mean, just even looking at the preview from – even remembering the preview I wrote, Boston College's receiving core is not good at all. They don't have – they didn't really – because their offense is so centered around Dylan, they don't really have any playmakers, you know, at the, you know, at the skill position. And Anthony Brown, while he has been, you know, a pretty good quarterback, he, you know, still, you know – he still struggled at times as a passer. He only was, and while his percentage increased by about 6%, he was still only completing about, he's still completing about, I think it was around 57% of his passes. So while not bad, not necessarily that great either. So if Clemson keeps him in the pocket and forces him to make different kinds of reads and that, and that kind of thing, I think he would have, struggled immensely against that and for you know all the struggles that we thought we were going to have on the back end the back end has actually been really good and I've been really surprised and I've been really pleased by the improvement that Tanner Muse has made in the past year because he's always that over aggressive guy that I feel is all is going to get caught looking in the backfield and just get burned over his head but he's been really sound in the back end and really disciplined and even I think the the backup safeties Denzel Johnson and Nolan Turner while they're you know still having to make improvements at times I think they still also uh hold up uh, I still think they hold up fairly well in pass coverage when they're playing with the starters as well so it's good to see the defense on all three levels just continue to not say just continue to hold hold down the four we talked plenty about the front you know the front four defensive linemen but not enough is made of of the back end and even even the uh 
linebacker play with Kendall Joseph and uh, Trey Lamar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you also saw AJ uh, Terrell in this game show that he's living up to his five-star billing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, secondary has been uh, – I won't go so far as to call it a revelation this year just yet. Um, they really haven't uh, faced too many quarterbacking attacks that will um, be – you know, if, if they shut – I think they, they had a really good game against Ryan Finley, so I take that back. Um, I think if they shut down Jones, we'll see who we face in the ACC title game. I don't think it'll be any sort of world-beater quarterback. But um, Yeah, doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty pleased with what's going on in the secondary. And really for me, this is about – you mentioned kind of Turner and Johnson and um, it, the depth that this defense has been able to develop and show throughout the year. Uh, we knew we would get a lot out of Xavier Thomas, and he has definitely exceeded those expectations. Uh, but what the coaching staff has been able to do with just how they flex guys in um, from a depth standpoint has definitely helped the secondary, I think, more than any other position group on the whole team. Yeah, absolutely. And as they, and oftentimes the best way to maybe you know disguise or help issues that you might have in the secondary is 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 with the play of a. So is with, with with the play of a solid front seven because you do have to remember if you know knock on wood obviously if Mullen Fields or Terrell goes down you're with um, Goodrich and the other name isn't coming to me right now but those two uh, other four star corners from this latest class both both you know freshmen and while obviously they're talented it's going to be a lot to ask them to go into a big time game so it's really it, it is really good to have that depth in the front seven to help help those guys and uh, help those guys do their job in the back end. Like that one halfback, uh, uh, that one halfback uh, throw that they that Boston College tried to make during that turning point in the game. I think it might have been after Lawrence's interception when you know they tried to turn it and the quarterback couldn't make the throw because he was under pressure. It's those kinds of plays that can really make the difference that kind of pressure that makes the difference in kind of helping the secondary make up the ground that they need to make up. Yeah, definitely. And with, uh, with Muse, not necessarily over pursuing. I mean, he was in there on that first quarter stop where Dex was being held by two guys and got his arms on Dylan and then Muse finished it up to kind of prevent them from converting, um, kind of set the tone. I think that also, he, he displayed a lot of that kind of speed and power that he has in a lot of plays in the passing game too. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, it's kind of it feels a little bit more like a cohesive secondary at this point yeah. than it did like earlier in the year. Um, I think Kyler McMichael might be the guy you're thinking about. Yes, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Just, I, was, I don't know why I couldn't remember his name just off the off the top of my head. But dude, yeah. there's so many, so many. I mean, we're playing 72 guys a, a game. There's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. We've so much. You know, there's only so much we can say about how good this defense has been and what we what we expected to learn against Boston College. Um, I'd maybe just suggest we we move on. I mean, special teams. This game was a little crazy. Continue. I called it a, this game a, a microcosm because I think it actually was. It was um, our passing. You know, led the way. Uh, running our running game was stymied. That's where defenses have chosen to take us um, to take the battle that Clemson is, is with shutting down the running game. Defense was elite. They show, they're showing their depth. And then the punting game is just a complete mess. And um, 
that that's been true all year. It was true in this game. I don't really know where we go from here. I mean, I think Spires is the coaches are committed to him. He's going to be our guy. I'd like to see him move away from rugby punts. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not saying. I, I mean, you could blame you could blame that touchdown on the rugby punt. You could blame it on our guys kind of being lackadaisical when at the point of attack when the the receiver the punt returner picked up the ball and ran right away from them but um, just a lack of focus across the board but I I don't know I'm not a I'm not a special teams coach I don't know what Will Spires could even work on in season to improve you know the hang time of his punts or or the distance but um, they seem to not want to be trying out anybody else on the team I think a lot of fans would like to see Hunter Renfro there. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I think he's so important, um, potentially in the punt return game if we need him there, as well as obviously as our receiver and our third down guy. Uh, that yeah. I don't know about putting him in a little bit in harm's way there. And we all know Hunter Renfro. He will not just he will be in there trying to make those tackles. And um, if he's the punter as well, he's not just going to kick the ball back and be the last line of defense um, on punt coverage. But anyway yeah yeah i mean oh i'm sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say yeah you know special teams punting game and it was great to see amari rogers get that touchdown he's long overdue for for just such a run um especially after that weird fumble play that he had that was not called as a catch catch interference but um, yeah the referees early was just not good abysmal acc refs yeah i mean it was crazy and yeah the biggest weakness i do have for clemson right now besides what we've talked about to this point has definitely been the punting because if we even remember just going back to the playoff last year a big reason why clemson struggled in that game outside of you know just the limited passing game was field position yeah alabama was usually starting from the 50 yard line most most of the time and part of that had not only to do with how the offense was doing but because of punting and we see it, 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 it seems like every punter we play this year is better than uh, Spires and has their best day ever and gets amazing hang time on all of their on all of their punts. And it seems like we can just never really get that punter. It seems like ever ever since Pinion left, we haven't really been able to get another punter that a punter that can change that can change and flip the field like that especially if your offense stalls out continuously and you need a little bit extra momentum, a short punt doesn't really help help swing that momentum that way. So I think the punting is definitely going to be something to watch. I know if there's one thing that Clemson fans groan about, it'll it, it's seeing Will Spires walk on the field. <laughs> and you're hoping that if the offense stalls out, it stalls out on the 50 because – then you know that the other team will at least get it on like the 20. Right, exactly. Um, and to be honest, his average is not that much lower. Or Clemson's punting average is not that much lower than um, some of its opponents. We're at a 36-yard per punt average. You mm-hmm. know, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Georgia are right at 40 themselves. So, yeah, okay, four yards. You know, that, that, that can add up across the number of um, punts and drives per game that we're talking about here. Um, I mean, it, I think we all jokingly say, cool, let's just not punt. You know, let's, yeah. just, let's just go for it on fourth regardless of where we are on the field. But um, You have like Trevor Lawrence throw like a deep interception on like arm, the 10-yard line, and that yeah. can pretty much be our punt. Arm punt, or obviously he could 
he could kind of audible mid-play into a punt if he wanted yeah. himself. I, I'm sure he's got a golden arm. He might have a golden golden leg, as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, at, at the very least, you kind of catch the defense off guard, and they're not going to have too much of a return down there. So um, anyway, I mean, yeah, this definitely could be a, a weak spot that um, could come back to haunt Clemson and what we call kind of lost yards or kind of hidden yards in a matchup is like that delta between – average starting field position. Um, if you kind of add that up over the course of a game, it corresponds to once that starts to get into the like hundred yards, 200 yards, you know, that's, that's that much like further Clemson has to go on offense to, um, overcome, you know, where we're allowing their team to start. Um, yeah. which, you know, if their defensive game plan is working and shutting down the run, it, you just really have to stay in much longer drives. It's, it's a lot more difficult. So, yeah, very, very much so. Um, anyway, we've said a lot about that, but all in all, I mean, this BC game was yet another display of Clemson being the class of the ACC, certainly of the Atlantic. Um, I think for future years, maybe we'll, we'll, I feel like Adazio has definitely saved his job at Boston College. Um, I, for one, I have a bunch of friends that went there. I think it's it's cool when they're good. I, I think it's a lot cooler when like Florida State's good. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a while till Louisville's good again. I mean, if they do manage to get Jeff Brom, we haven't talked yet about Petrino uh, getting the axe, but um, the Atlantic's in an interesting flux moment. I mean, um, I, I I think BC may have a little bit of staying power. Again, you you mentioned how they recruit; they're not going to be challenging Clemson on the recruiting trail too much for similar guys. But they get a lot out of the dudes they get, and then they get the they get a BC mold type of player. I mean, they get pass rush, they get O-line and they get running backs and they, they do very well with those three kind of groups as an expertise area. And um, we should expect more of that. And, you know, in the, in the pace and spread world, they're, they're choosing to go a different direction and they're doing it their way. And it's, it's worked out pretty well. Um, They, they've had a few years where the defense after Don Brown left um, did not, when he went to Michigan, did not hold up their end of the bargain and they couldn't get anything going on offense. But anyway, yeah, that was such an underrated pickup for Michigan. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, we're starting to see that bear fruit for them. I think anyway. Yeah. I, overall, I mean, this BC win was pretty satisfying and they might be right up there next year competing for the Atlantic alongside Clemson. But, um, you know, we handled the, the, the Atlantic this year with, without too much difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as a, if if anything, the biggest contender besides Boston College was was a Syracuse. A, 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 there's a guy that's elevating the yeah. most out, out of his players. It's you know Syracuse because who, like what guy wants to be recruited to go up to upstate New York? Wants to go up to yeah. Cold. Yeah, he wants to go to Cold Syracuse and in, in, in upstate New York to a school that's just kind of waiting for basketball season to start. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but the other kind of thing, the counter to that is he is elevating his guys, but he's also elevating his profile. And also I would, true. I would not be surprised to see Dino get get gotten for a, a much higher profile coaching job. We'll mm-hmm. s- we'll see. He seems to be pretty happy at Syracuse and committed there. But um, you know, if the Big Ten or SEC, I don't think we'll see too many SEC coaching turnovers this year. Last year was a big year for them, but yeah. Um, you know, with his kind of air raid type background, he might fit well in the Big 12 also. Um, and who knows if USC makes a move. So um, 
anyway, Babers could could definitely find himself a new job in this offseason. Yeah, yeah, he's outside of Jeff Brom, who uh, who Louisville probably ha- has the be- best chance to get. He's really the he's one of the few other prime head prime head coaches right now that's really that's really on the market. This isn't one of those years where you can really think of a lot of different like up and coming coaches to elevate to head coach, especially with a lot of the SEC turnover last year. Mm-hmm. It seems like this year it's finding that finding that a uh, head head coach or uh, is is, is going to be a little bit more scarce than it, it really ha- has been in previous years. Yeah, definitely. Well, Colby, we've got a few more minutes here. Um, I actually want to switch it up. Why don't we do like a couple of minutes on Duke and then let's talk playoff contenders uh, to wrap us up. So um, speaking of kind of coaches, going the complete opposite direction, a guy that's been there forever, a guy who's got to be in the twilight of his coaching career, David Cutcliffe, has has Duke coming in. They are seven and three, um, but they're, they're still stuck at third in the coastal, that crazy slog over there. Uh, by virtue of losses to, well, they lost to uh, Virginia. I'm sorry, they lost to Virginia. They lost to Virginia Tech, and they also lost to Pitt. So uh, that those losses have kind of eliminated Duke from the Coastal title. But um, seven and three is a great year for them. Um, I have to believe they're going to give UNC a run for their money, also in the rivalry game. Uh, so I don't know. It looked like Duke. They had a really strong start. They beat Northwestern. Um, it looked like they were going to be a pesky contender and I saw them on our schedule and I was like, look, maybe that's the letdown game for Clemson. Um, and Daniel Jones, their quarterback, eager to get your thoughts on him. Um, he, he's six, five two twenty. kind of, I, I looked up other quarterbacks in that mold and you've got like the Matt Ryan's of the world. I mean, Matt Ryan is like the best case scenario for Daniel Jones. He's moving up Mel Kuyper jr's draft board for the NFL He's a junior, but maybe he goes out early if he's getting that type of love from the league. But um, I, I don't know. Duke is in like the 50s in S&P Plus. Um, they've got a really lousy running defense. So I, I definitely don't expect them to hang with Clemson. I feel like this game Saturday is going to be uh, under the bright lights of Death Valley, going to be a raucous environment. I think it's going to be uh, you're going to see a lot of trickeration on offense. We're going to try to get Mitch Hyatt potentially some passes, some pass catches, maybe Christian Wilkins throws a ball, but I'm sort of expecting this to be a little bit of a, a laugher on Saturday. Yeah. I'm expecting about the same thing. I'm expecting kind of like a, like a 42, 10, 49, 10, 10 kind of game. And that's not real. And, and again, that's more uh, on, on us than it is on Duke because for you know for, for football Duke has been really good and this guy Jones I mean he's I kind of look at him kind of like how a lot of people looked at looked at Josh Allen this past year there's a lot of potential with the with the big I think around 6'5 220-ish frame he has that you know prototypical like pro style kind of kind of look in terms of like he has the arm strength he's big like physically he fits really what a lot of what a lot of scouts really really like and like and want to uh like and want to see i mean the, i mean he he's also i i think he's more mobile than than matt ryan so i think he he also ha- has that edge go- going for him so in terms of just recent kind of uh 
comparables. I compare him more to like a lot, how a lot of the Josh Allen hype was last year, minus obviously the win record. He's doing better at Duke than Josh Allen was doing at Wyoming last year. So, so I think early on, when Duke has the ball on offense, they'll try to you know push the ball and force the issue uh, sooner to try to you know capitalize on some of that night nighttime emotion early to kind of try to take the crowd out of it. But eventually. I think it's going to kind of be the same way with what happened with uh, NC State. It's just like the the nighttime crowd, Clemson crowd is going to be too much. It's going to be senior night. Mm-hmm. All of the defensive linemen minus, you know, Dexter obviously because he's not a senior are are going to be recognized. It's, 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 it's going to be a very kind of emotional farewell because it'll be, you know, a lot of these guys next to last game in Death Valley, one of the winning a senior classes in history, there's going to be a lot for Duke to overcome that I don't think they'll be able to really push through. Yeah, really the only comp, if I'm if I'm Duke, the game I look at and try to recreate is Army against Oklahoma from this year, where yeah. Army held the ball, but I don't. Duke just does not have the personnel or the the style to run that type of that ball control game or the the option type game. Not only that. Oklahoma's defense is pretty trash. Clemson has yeah. already played three and a half games against option offenses. I'm going to call Boston College, you know, half of that because yeah, their their backup that. had that had that background, right? So, um, anyway, yeah, it, you know, Duke maybe their best bet is just to you know survive in advance uh, for next week to kind of win their last game in in ACC play, but. Um, I guess I do have one question for you, though, Colby, here is let's say the NCAA uh, grants a waiver to both both teams and gives Cutcliffe, gives Dabo the ability to sub in one player for Saturday's game from anywhere else in the athletic department. Um, I got two questions. Number one, where does Zion Williamson play on the football field? And number two, who do you who do you think Dabo takes from across Clemson athletics and uh, where would he slot that guy in? Hmm. Well, for Duke Zion, I honestly think he's he's tight end. He's almost like the Jimmy Graham type, where you just kind of line him up and and he goes. I mean the, I mean we see how much he dunks, how athletic he already is. Just I say I you honestly just 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 line him up in the slot and let him beat somebody. He can be a vertical threat that can stretch the field and at his size. He's going to be too big for any corner, too athletic for any linebacker. It's going to be hard to stop the guy. Mm. I did, I did think about actually putting him at quarterback because <laughs> when I watched, when I watched some of that Kentucky game and what he did, it surprised me at how nimble he was on his feet and how well he carries his weight, but also the kind of passes he was making. So I did con- contemplate putting, putting a big six seven two hundred. 70 80 pound guy at QB I was like, I was like, I think he could do magical things with it with <laughs> it back there uh under center or in shotgun so I might actually change that and I'll put him at quarterback all right all right I'll put him at QB yeah my because the play breaks down you know he can get out there my answer to that would be put Brad Brownell in the end zone and Zion won't <laughs> go anywhere near him um, and maybe we'll be all right Oh um, man, you're bringing up some. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, some, 
Some bad memories. Yeah, it's fine. I, I, I was about to say before I break out into into uh, other other unrelated topics about Clemson basketball. Yeah, I mean, who's your uh, who's your Clemson guy you like to see suit him up for? Let's say one series. One series. Um, I'll take the best guy from the Clemson basketball program right now, Marquise Reed. Okay. I feel like, I feel like at receiver, he's a guy. He's smart and crafty. If you put him on an option route, he's gonna, as he's gonna find the correct space to do it. And because he already has kind of that point guard mindset, he knows, he 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 kind of knows where where and when he needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of kind of putting him there. I don't think he's he wouldn't be like the most athletic or fastest guy like Rogers, but he'd be a he'd be more of like a Renfro kind of crafty. I can I can get open and get separation kind of guy. So I definitely put Marquise Reed at receiver. Yeah, for sure. I think he has a knack for kind of where the play needs to develop and can see a couple moves ahead. So I think that makes yeah. sense. Um, any other thoughts on this Duke matchup? I mean, I, I I think mine is just health, get through it, enjoy senior night, put on a show for the home crowd fans on a night game. And, um, you know, Duke's going to be a prideful team, but I don't think we'll blow them out too hard. So I would almost say, you know, I think Clemson covers the 28, 29 point spread, but maybe it's not a huge super blowout. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cover the spread. Make sure you make sure you get out of the game healthy for rivalry week. Exactly. Um, well, Colby, why don't we pivot to kind of our last topic, and that's talking about college football playoff. We won't touch too much on the coastal opponent and the ACC title game. Uh, for the sake of argument, let's assume Clemson is able to survive that game and make it into the playoff. Uh, we know who also stands a chance to be in there. Um, would love to hear any kind of chaos scenarios you had in mind that might play out or what you think is most likely. But um, maybe before we touch on the chaos, I wanted to get your take on that first semifinal game and understand of the contenders out there, who would you like to face the least and who do you think Clemson matches up with the best? Easy. It, out of anyone, you never want to play Alabama first in the first round because yeah. you know they're going to come out there way more energized. You're going to be the unfortunate victim of being the result of Saban's month of planning. And his army and of that, analysts and yeah, assistants. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's going to be enough about to overcome, overcome in itself so alabama is not a team that i want to play in the first round so well let you me pray that you're not a one or four seed which like i agree i cannot agree more with you on that and that's that's why i am not rooting for chaos myself because the only yeah. way that we face them is with some type of clemson loss or alabama loss I, I think that's the only way either of us end up in a four seed one seed scenario i mean maybe they lose to georgia and become the the two seed and georgia's the one i don't know but Let's avoid Bama first round, but that's basically why I am probably going to root for Chalk, just in the best interest of Clemson. Yeah, um, and I think the only way Alabama loses it loses to Georgia is depending on Tua's health, which I think that if they could, they could they would sit Tua for like two weeks mm-hmm. to try to get him healthy enough for Georgia, and then get through Georgia, then have like that three month that 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 month off period but i but i don't know if they can afford to do it with jalen jalen hurts injured so it's so so it's kind of kind of one of those things but yeah just kind of getting getting back to that 
don't want to play Alabama in the first round. Matchup-wise, I think you match up with Notre Dame the, the best in terms of just the just the potential to to actually win win the game in terms of in I say in terms of how they um, just talent and yeah mm-hmm. their strengths are strengths where they they maybe have the the most weaknesses. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that uh, Ian Book is not going to hit the deep ball on you. He's not that mobile, um, no. which are both kind of strengths of of Wimbush actually, ironically. Um, yeah. for Notre Dame and I don't know what books why, why he was out what the status was on that was it an injury or what but um, also yeah, I believe it was a shoulder injury okay which like who knows if that's chronic and that could be bothering him later but I yeah. agree with you just of the like of the contenders because um, when I look at other other teams and you know Michigan being one of them like each of them has kind of a, a, a super strength and for Alabama it's their talent and it's their coaching and it's Tua and that we don't need to talk about them too much. I, I personally have them penciled in the championship game against Clemson, but um, in terms of a semifinal matchup, Oklahoma, I know they're a long shot at this point, but they've got the high-powered offense. They've got Kyler Murray, who is my Heisman winner, and that variance on offense, could we could find ourselves in a shootout, and people think that Clemson would be able to handle their defense well and our defense could handle their offense. I don't know. I just feel like Oklahoma could be a tricky one. I'd love to avoid that matchup if we could um, and stick with Notre Dame. And then Michigan's got a really elite, powerful defense. Um, again, I don't think they could score very many points on Clemson, but uh, it, it's still – like I just don't see Notre Dame having any sort of like elite unit that makes Clemson – that would expose Clemson too much. I mean, I think they have a really strong running back, but um, – give Brent Venables three weeks to prepare for you and he's going to be able to take away a running game. Yeah. I must say, no, the one thing I will say about Oklahoma is that, is that, is that while, while they are high powered, Kyler Murray hasn't really been able to face a defense really. That's been able to put, put a lot of, a lot of pressure on now. Now I, now I've, I would say that I would be concerned about our linebackers kind of staying disciplined and not letting him get outside the pocket in the open field because nobody's catching him if he does. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to remember how just how bad Oklahoma's defense really is. And Clemson would conceivably score 50-plus points in that game just given at how bad Oklahoma's defense is everywhere from their front seven to their secondary. There'd be a... There'd be a ton of opportunities to to score there. So while yeah. so while Oklahoma isn't necessarily a matchup I'd like to do because a, a shootout would be stressful. I would say that <laughs> yeah 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 real 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 uh stress uh, uh stressful. It's one that again I'd rather play anybody except Alabama, but Notre Dame's definitely your number one. Definitely the target. more. Yeah. The more preferred because as because right now for Michigan, Shea Patterson, it's like that Notre Dame. He looks like a completely different quarterback than when they played Notre Dame at the beginning of the season, and just given the confidence that he's playing with right now, while I think we could get pr- uh, pr- uh, pressure on him, I definitely put all my cards on Ian Book uh, first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. How about Georgia? I mean, they're one that I would actually put them right behind Alabama in terms of teams that I think they'd probably be the most complete 
next team in line to Alabama. I think we've talked about a little bit of the the down the downfalls of some of the other contenders. Um, and Georgia seems to be rounding into form. And yeah, just I don't think they would pair Alabama Georgia as a rematch in the playoffs. They'd find a way to seed that such that they don't get that matchup first. So yeah, um, I mean I. I don't know. All year, I've I've kind of thought about how would Clemson match up with Georgia, and I still believe we would prevail there. But uh, they've got the talent. That's the thing. They've got talent and depth that, especially in like the O line and the running game, that that can make it a long night for us if we're not able to sort of contain that. And um, you know, the defense gets tired. Whatever else um, on our side could be tricky. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I think Georgia would be really tricky because of kind of the things you outlined with their offensive line and their running backs. That's that's really the strength of their o- offense. The biggest kind of question uh, for them is kind of J- Jake Fromm. He's not necessarily had a sophomore slump per se, but he's definitely been under a lot more pressure. Obviously, after the you know se- season that he had last year, he has another former five-star breathing mm. breathing that down his neck and whenever he plays bad a lot of people are clamoring for, for fields. Uh, i about to say for yeah. fields to play and it, 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 if anything about georgia you have concerns about their defense especially especially their run, run defense because they did lose a lot of leadership off of that defense last year like roquan smith so you wonder how a lot of those guys that stepped up this year would respond to kind of more of a more of a high high powered uh, uh, more of a high powered offense you have to wonder really what they what they do do with that but there's no que- but but there's no question about Georgia's Georgia's talent and their uh, preparation and if there's one coach that can get them ready for that prime time and, 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 and get them really motivated is Kirby Smart and in, in a way maybe that's been kind of their their biggest issue they're kind of looking ahead towards other things and motivation can be kind of hard when they're stuck at that perennial five and they really need one of those four to lose or they really want to get the sec championship game so that they can attempt to knock alabama out and get into the championship themselves and get into the playoff themselves yeah i mean look out for georgia tech they can't look ahead too much um yeah i mean yeah Obviously, if Georgia loses again, they're out, regardless of how close it is against Alabama. There's no two-loss team is going to get in, especially at this point with there's just no way we're going to see all the chaos that would need to happen is get them in otherwise. So I think their only chance is to beat Bama and possibly to beat Bama big. But if Tua's not playing, you know, if, if Tua plays against Auburn because Saban feels like they can't afford to drop one um, and um, Hurts is not able to go... I don't know. I mean, I think Tua is one, one sack away from being out for a while, and it's yeah. scary. And you don't want to see that. You want you want to take on the, the best of the best and get their best game. But uh, it, note that for the Clemson Alabama matchup, like how many shots a game is our defensive line and our pass rush going to get at Tua? He's very slippery, uh, but I think we'll definitely get about three to five opportunities to sack yeah. Tua. And uh, you saw what happened to Anthony Brown. I mean, mm-hmm. we got got big heavies up there that um, can make life life tough for him. So um, then it's a whole different ballgame. And you, you don't want to have injury be part of the strategy or part of the opportunity to win. But it's 
it's a reality at this point. Yeah, and I, I mean, and just even listening to some radio shows the other day, I mean, there are reports coming out of Alabama that Tua, that leg where his knees has that brace, it's worse. It's about as bad as it looks to where when he breaks out and runs full sprint, he like re-injures it. Like it's yeah, it's not good, and he's still you know play you know playing on it. It's it's more than just kind of one of those you know, nicks that you get over the course of a season. It's an injury that yeah. should have kept him out for a couple of weeks that he's still playing on. And I think Saban's really playing with fire, trying to say, okay, if I maybe limit him during the week and then maybe I can make it past like the championship game, he can get a month to, you know, rehab and that kind of thing. But Tua's health has really been kind of an kind of a storyline to really watch these past few you is because he's still doing well but you know it just takes one one bad hit or one wrong roll from a lineman or an opposing defensive lineman and it you know goes away and it changes the entire complexion of Alabama's team and while Saban's been the master of having game managers at quarterback and winning championships with them against a college football playoff team this year especially like Clemson that that's going to be detrimental, and I don't think they beat Clemson without Tua. I'm with you on that, and I feel like, I mean, one of the narratives we've had all season is, oh, Bama's defense has taken a step back, and Bama's defense is not what they once were, and uh, I think that's changed. I mean, we certainly saw in the LSU, they've had two shutouts in a row now, and um, just generally, their, their elite, their line is starting to come into form. Um and their secondary, which they're basically starting two first-year starters, um, that's also starting to come together. I think that would be the weak link of that team in a matchup against Clemson. But uh, really, it's all about what, what are they going to be able to do on offense. And I don't know if this team can pivot. They've been a pass-heavy offense all year. They're starting to get their running game more involved um, behind the behind. The, basically, I call them the Harris brothers. But yeah, um, I I don't know if you can pivot at this point of the year. And turn into the the Derrick Henry Jacob Coker um, type of type of Alabama offensive old and figure this thing out. Um, so yeah, who knows? I, let's put it this way: at this point of the game, I like Clemson. I'd rather be a Clemson fan than a Bama fan right now with with what I've got in my team and potential shortcomings. And I know Alabama look like world beaters, but um, I think we haven't yet seen the full potential of Clemson either. Yeah. I'm the same way. I agree. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, does that mean you're predicting a Alabama Clemson four in the title game? Is that how you think yeah. it'll play out? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. I am, and uh, I'll say, I yeah, we'll talk about chaos probably coming up right, right now. But yeah, I I fully expect to have Clemson Alabama four, and I usually tend to avoid a lot of the hype for these big national championship Super Bowl games because it tends to become a bit much. And mm. when, especially when it involves Clemson, my nerves will just get, it will get me more like excited, anxious, all that stuff at the same time. So I just kind of tend to avoid as much of it as possible during, during that week if I can help it until like we get to the actual game because I'm just ready for that, yeah. that game to start. Well, that game, if it does go down in the natty, that's out here in the bay by us. So I, I, I'm like you. I like to try to avoid all the hype, but it'd be difficult while it's in our own <laughs> yeah. backyard here to 
fully avoid it, especially with people coming to visit. So, Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, we're up for it. Let's hope, let's hope that's a reality. And honestly, I wouldn't want to play anybody else in the title game. I think it'd be, be awesome to go up against them a fourth time and avenge last year's loss. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe we can wrap it with just a chaos scenario. Like what is, what is maybe the one upset or the one shakeup that you think is most likely to happen that would change the, the current order packing order of the playoff rankings? Mm. There are actually set. There are actually several I could think of. The first would be if this weekend Syracuse were able to upset Notre Dame, which a lot of it depends on if Syracuse's offense shows up. Mm-hmm. That would be the first major one because I don't think a one-loss Notre Dame gets into the playoff because as much as you know they you know play all these different teams, their best win right now is against Northwestern. And while their win against Stanford was good at the time, Stanford has pretty much fallen off the map, and that win has a lot less has a lot less luster to it. And right. they haven't really had another win to really pick up since then. So it's gonna really take beating Syracuse, I think, to to fully to fully uh, cement that. The second one. I can see is if Michigan loses to Ohio State, which we know that Ohio State is for a for a team with one loss or yeah, for a team with one well one loss, they've fallen off the map as much as a one loss team can, mainly because of their defense and their uh qu- quarterback Haskins. Mm-hmm. After you know, playing so well early, it seems like that loss to Purdue, they've been they've been kind of struggling to 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 beat teams i mean that game against nebraska they had to really pull themselves up just to beat nebraska yeah and same with minnesota before that like yeah exactly so if they're able to somehow beat beat michigan in that rivalry game that's that's going to knock michigan out the playoffs which opens up the door again for for georgia to enter the playoff and and to a degree, Oklahoma, that would be kind of the second round of chaos. The third one, you can consider it chaos, actually, in a way, is if Georgia manages to beat Alabama in the playoff. Because if you if Georgia beats Alabama in the playoff, the and SEC they play title the rest game. of their games, yeah, the, for the ACC title game, yep. if Georgia beats Alabama, Georgia's going to get in because they've won it, their one loss. Yeah. And they beat Alabama. Nothing's going to get much better than that win. You know, yep. Yeah, that win. But and then the question becomes: Assuming you have Georgia, Alabama gets in the playoff because that that precedent has been set already, and they have. Well, they're they one of the four best teams. You know exactly. Like and the, yeah, yeah, and the and, and the committee stated we're going to have the four best teams, and Alabama has unequivocally proven this year they're one of the four best teams. So it'd be like last year where you have two SEC teams get in, Clemson wins out. They're, that's it. If Clemson uh, wins out, including championship, mm-hmm. they're in. Then that comes the question of, well, who's the fourth team going to be? Who's the team that's left out? And the team that's left out, assuming that Michigan wins out, is probably is – probably, I say, well, you you have to make a choice. Do you take a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Notre Dame? Yeah. 
if that also that becomes the question comes to pass yeah i i think you're right like the ultimate chaos is notre dame loses to syracuse how far do they fall i don't think the commit again it depends on the the degree of the loss, right? But I yeah, think the com- I think the committee they like to play games, or they basically like to give themselves outs where they wouldn't drop Notre Dame that far. Is is my prediction? I think they yeah, leave, I agree. They leave them in striking distance to see what happens on rivalry weekend and championship weekend. And um, Notre Dame doesn't have a championship game; they just have USC the following week, and then they're open. So by not losing, they could basically have addition by subtraction. Um, they'll probably sit in that like six range, six rank range, something like that. Um, I feel like, yeah, again, the Ohio state Michigan game, that's chaos. The big 12 is always interesting. I think they would be like the, they're truly like the first team out is like either West Virginia or Oklahoma there. And that's a good point. I forgot about the big 12. Yeah. Like the, I feel like if any sort of chaos happens, provided one of those two teams just looks like a dominant big 12 champion and handles their business down the stretch and has just the one loss. I think they would be right there as like the first team in unless the Georgia over Bama scenario plays out, like you said. Yeah. And then again, like the, everyone's been trying to come up with scenarios where Bama could miss the playoffs. I'm going to go on here and say it. I don't see any scenario in which Bama misses the playoff with only no, one Bama loss. No, Bama would have to somehow lose twice to yeah, Auburn, and, Auburn the and the championship isn't going to happen. The only other way, though, Colby, is if Tua does get hurt and he's out for the year and then they lose a game to, like, Georgia, let's say. Like, in pre- like let's say he gets hurt at the end of Auburn and they win that game, but they're they're just completely pathetic against Georgia. Then I could see and they lose against Georgia bad, then I could see Bama falling out of the top four just because you you don't want to see them go in with like an even hobbled Jalen Hurts against no. a playoff team. So um, that's about the only scenario. So let's just – we can save our time with the Alabama could lose if – or you know not get in if, if X or Y. That's why I'm like pencil them in at one, pencil us in at two. I'm all good with that. Yeah. I like – you know – there's no, there's no glory to the first place team. Who knows which which bowl we would end up in? We'd probably be back in Miami. That'd be fine by me. Um, yeah. And then after that, it's just like there there could be a little bit of chaos, but I don't know. Um, it it's it's a little bit boring, I guess, at this point to know it's been decided basically for two almost all of November. We'll already we we've already have known kind of what teams will be there, but yeah, I think I'm with you that the most likely is probably that. Ohio State over Michigan. Um, just rivalry games have a different meaning, especially that one. And I maybe Syracuse can do it against Notre Dame, but I think the most likely is probably that Michigan falls to Ohio State. In yeah, Columbus. especially just because of how that rivalry has been. Yeah. But in the last few years, Har- Harbaugh has been so close, and this is honestly probably going to be the the biggest game of his of his uh, career because he's expected to win, and not only win, but but win when honestly kind of easily a lot of people are already right are already writing off that game is you know oh michigan's michigan's just yeah, win. In. yeah yeah but yeah. it's like oh we kind of have to wait wait and see because think about how all these rivalry games have have been and harbaugh has like harbaugh's had a lot of has had several seven and five years but all those games he's losing by like single digits and he's had an inability to win these win these close games like you remember the the one a couple of years or i think it was last year with the 
with the first down measurements and the questionable spot of the ball. Yeah. Yep. So there, so many things have have a uh, have uh, happened. So it's going to be really interesting, and you know that it's that it's going to be a game day game because it's going to uh, yeah. pretty much That's... decide who gets in the playoff because either of these teams are going to beat North Northwestern. Right. But exactly. It's it, 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 it's just kind of it's 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 really almost like a like a wild card game in a sense which again if you get like like if the final four stays the same the way it is now it's very possible that, that this is only going to increase the you know advocate for like more teams in the playoff right, because right. you could end up getting like people are going to know the same people are going to see the same four teams in the same spot then it's like why not expand the teams and you know make it make it you know bigger and yeah. improve the format which i have my own opinion as to how the you know format should be but you know my my personal opinion on it i'd love to get yours is four is the right number because um we're really trying to find the champion here yeah and ultimately the reason we have a playoff to begin with is because a lot of teams were getting hosed as number three so four yeah. team playoff if you're number five on the outside looking in i'm sorry you like you you cost yourself that chance at some point mm-hmm. of the year. And yeah. if it is a case like Baylor TCU, it's because your conference didn't have a title game. If Notre Dame gets has a loss and let's say Ohio State upsets Michigan and Ohio State gets in because they have that 13th data point and they beat Northwestern and they have a conference title, then maybe the committee makes a political decision and is like, Notre Dame, you got to join a, a conference. Like you're an independent. This doesn't work for us. Like they could, they could go that route if they wanted. So, oh yeah, easily. I feel like to me, four is ideal because I don't care if number five is on the outside looking in. Do I think it'll be four ten years from now? Nope. I think there's enough money in an additional round to have six teams or eight teams that will see it. But uh, I think that's a pity because already these players go through such a rigorous season. And um, I mean, look, I love college football. I would love additional yeah. high-profile matchups against great teams, but or with great teams playing. But uh, I just don't know if it's. And then it kind of it kind of waters down. It opens up more variance. Like the NCAA tournament is great, but Ryan Cantor and I talked about this. It's it's not great. Like I don't think it's the best means of determining the best basketball team. I think it's it's a fun tournament. That's about it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I can see that uh, perspective for sure. My my take on the playoff is that I'm not like Mike Leach, and I want like 12, 16 teams in the playoff, like mm-hmm. like Division two or three. I think that expanding it too much does take away like the impact of like the regular season, and you can't just play like all those games because then you have to consider well, like are you going to take away conference games? Are you going to like reduce the amount of regular season games? And that's not going to happen. What I can see happening to add like or keep meaning to the uh, and keep meaning to like the regular season, what I would do is I would like have you know six teams. I would have it kind of similar to the way that to the way that kind of like the NFL play, uh, playoffs do it. You know, I won't get into too much into like logistics and stuff, mm-hmm. but I would basically have six teams and the top two seeds like the, like in the NFL playoffs get bye weeks mm. and you have kind of like your you, you have like your you know your first round games with your wild cards and then that reduce it to four and then from there you 
have your playoffs. So I'm a I'm a like that mindset. You have the six because then it allows for kind of those two those two other wild cards to get in. So there would be an opportunity for, you know, like another Big 12 team or a Notre Dame or if they were to somehow advance that high, even a group of six team does have a slightly bigger opening to get that high if, you know, yeah. if the rankings allow them to do so. So I'm at that six mi- mindset. I think eight is where it starts to get too crowded and too many, and that's where the regular season starts to get dive dilute and loses its impact but with six you know you know the record still matters there's an opportunity for if you drop like if you drop a game then there's an opportunity for you to climb back up when chaos happens so i really like in my mind in a way that that six game yeah that six game playoff yeah i think that's right and I, that, that can make sense I, I i like the buy idea as well and um again for like the ucf or the group of five team getting to six sixth place by the last week of the year like that's a lot more achievable than four just the way yeah. things work so hopefully that would mean maybe a fair shot for them to just have a really solid run and play like for me if UCF had played um, maybe slightly better power five competition in the last two years and handled them obviously they they crushed Auburn in the Peach Bowl last year but uh you know, add to that a couple more high-profile wins. I think they'd be sniffing that like six to eight realm of the playoff rankings, um, and that's what it might take. But it, it's still a little bit far-fetched to see any of those get into the top four. Yeah. So it would need some type of expansion to help them out. And um, yeah, I could see that working out if if we use the current rankings. What it would be like: Georgia, Notre Dame, and Michigan against Oklahoma in that first leg, which would be a lot of fun. And then. Um, maybe they would reseed it based on who won and Alabama would play the worst seed coming out of it. I mean, that could be pretty cool. But uh, anyway, I'm pretty happy with the four format for, for the time being. Yeah, I think it's kind of a good way to kind of gauge gauge where everything is. The ratings are high. You're not depending on a computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, and it, I would say, and it, and, and it brings up a lot because so far we've, We've seen teams get in without a conference championship. We've seen teams get in with one. We've seen teams lose a little bit later like us and still get in, though that it, it also helped that the other top the other top five <laughs> yeah. teams lost. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously but 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 we've seen, you know, chaos. It's fun to kind of see see who's gonna be in the ranking somewhere every week. Like I remember the anticipation, you know, last year of is Alabama or Ohio State going to get in? And the reveal when the card flipped and it was Alabama, and oh. that was a really fun, fun, yeah. fun thing. And, and because it's still so new, there's still a lot of opportunity to kind of learn from it before you know, making you know, some it choice expands. to change it. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, it's it's totally. There's a lot of intrigue around it, especially when stuff's tight and stuff's stuff's really contested. I mean, we've had two four seeds win it all already so yeah in my mind, absolutely that's all you need to know about is this thing working is it better than the former system um and i'm i have to imagine let's say we flip it to six in the first three or four years of that we'd probably get a five or a six seed to win it um of course they'd have to go on and win three games against playoff caliber competition so that's not easy but yeah I'm, yeah it's hard you get a hot you get a hot team at the right moment and that's what happens and it's kind of what you see in the nfl uh, maybe to a lesser extent the NFL, but certainly Major League Baseball is like 
and the NCAA tournament for basketball that it's you get hot at the right time you can you can go the distance I think I like college football where it's like no we really need to gauge like the true champion for the season um this team was dominant all year can they can they handle it against like the best of another conference I don't know I think it's been a really good system so far and I I think moving to eight or definitely 16 would would sully that a little bit but uh I don't know this sport's crazy <laughs> yeah um, but yeah yeah big time cool well uh Colby we are we put a long tail on this kite tonight but uh glad to get you on and um I feel like we got a big our listeners have a big appetite for long shows uh so oh, oh oh yeah oh yeah this is fun i really appreciate it i hope i didn't talk too much or was extra <laughs> long-winded on on certain points but uh, i said but, but but it's been fun to be be on this podcast like I, I really appreciate the uh the the invite yeah man no you did great and uh thank you so much again and um where can people obviously they can find your articles on shaking the southland but uh what's your twitter handle in case people want to follow uh, my Twitter handle is at Colby1226. That's C-O-L-B-Y and just the number 1226. I wasn't very creative with my handle. So I need something <laughs> short that I can remember. It's like, so my name and my birthday, 1226. So <laughs> it works perfectly. So at Colby1226 is is where they can uh, find me just kind of talking about everything from nerd things to sports in general, Every everything. Word. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again so much. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, bearing with us. Uh, really fun to recap Boston College, talk about uh, the Duke matchup, and then the playoff uh, scenarios and um, outcomes that we're, we're both expecting here. So, Colby, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate that. And um, as always, go Tigers. All right. Thanks, Nick. Go Tigers.